Welcome to Living with Steam, where we feature the railroad sound recordings of John M. Prophet III, which he made from 1948 to 1955 in Buffalo and Western New York. I'm Aaron Heverin. On December 26, 1948, John headed southwest to Chautauqua County to visit some friends in Westfield, New York, a town about 67 miles away from Buffalo. After spending Christmas with his family, John may have felt that a change of scenery would be a good thing. Westfield is located between Fredonia and Ripley, and back in the day was on the main line for the Lakeshore Michigan Southern Railroad, its trackage becoming a major part of the New York Central's route from Buffalo to Chicago. Train activity notwithstanding, Westfield has another claim to fame that, to this day, ensures its place in American history. New York, Westfield, Chautauqua County, October 15, 1860, Honorable A.B. Lincoln. Dear Sir, My father has just home from the fair and brought home your picture and Mr. Hamlet's. I am a little girl, only 11 years old, but want you should be President of the United States very much, so I hope you won't think me very bold to write to such a great man as you are. Have you any little girls about as large as I am? If so, give them my love and tell her to write to me if you cannot answer this letter. I've got four brothers, and part of them will vote for you anyway. And if you will let your whiskers grow, I will try and get the rest of them to vote for you too. You would look a great deal better for your face is so thin. All the ladies like whiskers, and they would tease their husbands to vote for you, and then you would be president. My father is going to vote for you, and if I was a man, I would vote for you too. But I will try and get everyone to vote for you that I can. I think that rail fence around your picture makes it look very pretty. I've got a little baby sister. She is nine weeks old and is just as cunning as can be. When you direct your letter, direct to Grace Bedell, Westfield, Chautauqua County, New York. I must not write any more. Answer this letter right off. Goodbye, Grace Bedell. In October of 1860, 11-year-old Grace Bedell was living with her family in Westfield, New York. Her father was a staunch Republican and a supporter of Abraham Lincoln, who had just won the Republican nomination for president in May of 1860. In order to spread the word about a political candidate at a period in time where there were no telephones, radio, or social media, local party supporters would print posters, leaflets, or even a carte de visite with a drawing or photograph of the candidates running for office, along with clever and eye-catching designs and slogans. These political advertisements would be distributed freely wherever large crowds would gather. In October of 1860, the Chautauqua County Fair in Dunkirk, New York had an Abraham Lincoln display, showing that he was running for president along with Hannibal Hamlin as a running mate. Dunkirk is roughly 20 miles from Westfield, and it would have taken Grace Bedell's father quite a bit of time to make that journey using a horse and buggy. When he returned home, he showed his daughter the presidential election leaflet he picked up at the fair. If you've ever seen any of the Lincoln-Hamlin political posters, you can't help but notice that Abraham Lincoln looks very young, almost sickly thin, and frankly inexperienced compared to Hannibal Hamlin. It's this portrait of Lincoln that made a big impression on young Grace Bedell's life. So wanting to do her part to get the man her father was voting for as president into office, Grace took it upon herself to write to Lincoln, saying that if he grew a beard, 
he'd look much older and more people would take him seriously as a candidate for President of the United States, if I may be allowed to paraphrase just a bit. Lincoln received and read Grace Bedell's letter with amusement and initially thought the request was a tad silly. October 19, 1860, Springfield, Illinois. Miss Grace Bedell, my dear little miss, your very agreeable letter of the 15th is received. I regret the necessity of saying I have no daughters. I have three sons, one 17, one 9, and one 7 years of age. They, with their mother, constitute my whole family. As to the whiskers, having never worn any, do you not think people would call it a piece of silly affection if I were to begin it now? Your very sincere well-wisher, A. Lincoln. Regardless of what Lincoln thought after reading Grace's letter in October of 1860, by the time he was elected president in 1861 and was making his inaugural journey from Illinois to Washington, Lincoln had grown a full beard. Of course, Lincoln's method of travel was by train. The trip took him through New York State and included a stop in Bedell's hometown of Westfield, New York, where thousands gathered to meet the president-elect. Once there, Lincoln asked to meet Grace Bedell by name. An article from Wikipedia conveys the story, as originally described by the New York World in the February 19, 1861 edition. To quote the article, at Westfield, an interesting incident occurred. Shortly after his nomination, Mr. Lincoln had received from that place a letter from a little girl who urged him, as a means of improving his personal appearance, to wear whiskers. Mr. Lincoln at that time replied, stating that although he was obliged by the suggestion, he feared his habits of life were too fixed to admit of even so slight a change as that which letting his beer grow involved. Today, on reaching the place, he related the incident and said that if that young lady was in the crowd, he should be glad to meet her. There was a momentary commotion, in the midst of which an old man, struggling through the crowd, approached leading his daughter, a girl of apparently 12 or 13 years of age, whom he introduced to Mr. Lincoln as his Westfield correspondent. Mr. Lincoln stooped down and kissed the child and talked with her for some minutes. Her advice had not been thrown away upon the rugged chieftain. A beard of several months' growth covers, perhaps adorns, the lower part of his face. Grace Bedell recalled the event some years later. He climbed down and sat down with me on the edge of the station platform, she recalled. Gracie, he said, look at my whiskers. I've been growing them for you. And then he kissed me and I never saw him again. If you visit Westfield, New York today, a statue has been erected to commemorate the meeting between Grace Bedell and Abraham Lincoln. Known as Lincoln Bedell Statue Park, you can visit the spot at the intersection of routes 394 and 20 in Westfield.
87 years later, John Prophet was in Westfield himself, visiting friends for Christmas. As you might expect, John mixed his visit between spending time with friends and hanging out at the local train station to make some recordings of whatever happened to pass by. And once again, the notes he made for this trip leave a lot to the imagination about his itinerary, or frankly, how he got to Westfield in the first place. In other words, did he drive or take the train? Let's take a look at all the possibilities and see if we can determine which option is the more plausible one. John set up his wire recorder at the Westfield station, which was originally served by the Lakeshore and Michigan Southern Railroad until the line was taken over by the New York Central in 1914. Not only was the station a stop for passengers heading to Buffalo, Chicago, and all points in between and beyond, it was also a transfer stop for people heading to the Chautauqua Institute. So back in its heyday, Westfield Station was a pretty busy place and a great place to watch trains. Now John only recorded seven trains at Westfield, but the first two he captured might give us a better clue to his movements on the 26th of December. The first train he recorded was number 68, the Commodore Vanderbilt. This was one of the New York Central's New York to Chicago trains, and it did not stop at every station along the way. In fact, it didn't stop at Westfield, but blew past on its way to Buffalo. And John's next train was number 41, the Knickerbocker, which was a daily Buffalo to St. Louis train. He recorded it on its way to Erie, Pennsylvania after leaving Buffalo Central Terminal around 10.55 p.m. Like train 68 before it, the Knickerbocker didn't stop at Westfield. And yes, I said train 41 was scheduled to depart Buffalo Central Terminal at 10.55 p.m. In fact, it was scheduled to arrive in Erie, Pennsylvania at 12.30 in the morning. Train 68 was scheduled to leave Chicago's LaSalle Street Station at 4 p.m. on the 25th, if it held to its regular schedule on Christmas Day. If it got to Westfield before Train 41, that would put it in the area roughly between 11 o'clock and 11.30 p.m., give or take a few minutes. That information aside, was John recording at the Westfield station that late in the evening on December 26th? Well, if the train schedules in the December 1948 New York Central timetable have anything to say about it, then the answer is yes. But to keep things more interesting, John recorded four additional trains at the Westfield station, but sadly, he wrote down very little information about each one. The first was a freight heading west pulled by a DFA-4A diesel locomotive, number 3402. This engine was built by Baldwin Locomotive Works and was new in 1948, so it was lucky for John to catch what was affectionately known as a babyface engine. The next two trains John recorded were both freights, each one pulled by steam engines that John didn't identify. The first one is heading west, the second is eastbound. The last train we'll hear is one John wrote down as being a DH Special heading east, pulled by a J1. Now at first, I thought DH meant Delaware and Hudson, but that's not possible. More than likely, DH means deadhead. Now this is a railroad term that refers to an entire train, an engine, or individual cars that are running empty or light as they return to a terminal or home location. And it can also mean to move in a train 
but in no way helping, merely to ride along to be repositioned for later work or use. John caught the New York Central deadhead train, pulled by a J-1 Hudson, as it was possibly on its way back to Buffalo. The train is moving at an incredible speed, as you will hear.
If we continue to speculate about the time John spent at Westfield Station, especially since he probably didn't record the trains in real time, it may have been going on midnight or later by the time the deadhead train went past. So after he finished recording, did John get in his car and drive back to Buffalo? There was no New York State Thruway system back in 1948, and he would be faced with a drive that was close to 70 miles depending on which route he chose to get back to Buffalo. The obvious question I have to ask myself is, would John M. Prophet III, dedicated and obsessive rail fan, really hang around the Westfield passenger station at 11.30 at night where it was 15 degrees outside with snow on the ground just to record seven trains? Mm, possibly. But I do want to go on record in order to make a slight correction about John's character. I've said multiple times in past episodes that John hated the cold. In fact, he told me on many occasions that he refused to do any train photography or sound recordings if it was cold or snowing out. My problem is that I knew John in the latter years of his life. I can't think of anyone who would want to be out in the cold at the age John was when he and I talked about the subject of winter rail fanning. However, in 1948, John would have only been 33 years old. He was young, adventurous, and very little was going to stop him from making that perfect recording. If John had to stand out in the snow waiting for a special train to come by so he could get that once-in-a-lifetime photograph or recording, then he'd have no problem doing it. So did John hang around Westfield until the wee hours of the morning and then drive back to Buffalo? Well, there's another possibility that for this narrative sounds a bit more fun and, frankly, more to John's liking. In 1948, John was a New York Central employee and more than likely had a pass that allowed him to ride any New York Central train he wanted without having to buy a ticket or perhaps purchase one at a considerable discount. Actually, if he were an engineer, brakeman, conductor, or fireman, he could get on a New York Central train as a deadhead to ride back to Buffalo. So what if John took a train back to Buffalo? 
that would be the best possible course of action for him. All you'd have to do is get on board a warm New York Central coach car and watch the countryside unfold as the train threaded its way east to Buffalo. Snow would have covered the ground and perhaps there would be many houses draped with Christmas lights to look at along the way. Sure, it would be pitch black outside except for any lights coming from houses within sight of the railroad tracks, but it would certainly be a very enjoyable ride. Nothing to do but sit back and let the New York Central whisk you home. Sadly, even though this is a great scenario to consider, more than likely, this is not what John actually did. For one, there were no trains that would have stopped in Westfield, New York at that hour of the morning. If John really wanted to take the train back to Buffalo, he'd have to get a ride to Erie, Pennsylvania, board train 98, the Paul Revere, by 12.14 in the morning in order to arrive back in Buffalo by 1.40 in the morning. He would not have had enough time to do that even if there was a New York State Thruway system back in 1948. The other problem was the wire recorder. Did he make the recordings using the power from the Westfield station or did he use his power converter? Regardless, it would have been a major hassle to carry the wire recorder and all its components and any bags John had with him on a train just because of the weight and the fact that he was probably dressed for the weather. Moving around a passenger car when you're bulky and weighed down is not fun. With no other options available, I think it's pretty safe to assume that John spent some time with his friends in Westfield and then wound up at the passenger station as a last stop on the visit. Perhaps his friends were rail fans as well. If they were, I don't think a lot of persuading would have been needed to go watch trains the day after Christmas. Frankly, it was just a fun thing to do. Once John was satisfied with what he had recorded and the fact that he probably was getting cold, it was time to say goodbye and head back to Buffalo. He may not have been watching the countryside unfold from the window of a New York Central train, but at least he was in a warm car, making a leisurely drive home.
John Prophet made his recordings in Westfield the day after Christmas. So with the holiday season in mind, I find it only fitting to take this opportunity to wish everyone the very best of health and happiness during this festive time of year. Regardless of whether you're able to take the train to go home for the holidays or the only railroad experience you'll have is the Lionel train around the Christmas tree, please enjoy your time with family and friends. And above all, stay safe. You've been listening to Living With Steam, featuring the railroad recordings of John M. Prophet III, which he made in the field from 1948 to 1955. This program was written by me, Aaron Haverin. For additional content such as photographs, videos, maps, and other information related to each episode, please visit Living With Steam on Facebook. Just head over to facebook.com forward slash livingwithsteam, all one word. And while you're there, please feel free to ask any questions or make a comment about the program. I'd certainly appreciate your feedback. Thanks very much for listening. Happy holidays, and I'll see you next time.